invite you to enter this portal of strange and unimaginable. I simply ask that you suspend your judgment and expand your mind in the vastness of the unknown. Come witness the wonder that is our reality. The truth is out there, and so am I. Wife of a demon hunter, extraordinary tales of all things paranormal. Hello, my name is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the wife of a demon hunter. Okay, today my guest is Dr. Ian Rubenstein um, from the UK, and um, Dr. Uh, Ian, I wanted to call you Dr. Ian. Dr. Ian, <laughs> um, you live in Enfield, uh, North uh, North London, um, and that's where you currently reside. Um, are, and so are you familiar with the Enfield case where the movie The Conjuring 2 was yeah. based on? So tell us a little bit about that. Well, the movie was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, what I find the most amazing is, first of all, um, houses in the UK do not have basements like that. Oh, with all the water and all that in there? <laughs> well, well, no, if you had a, 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 we live near the River Lee. If you had a basement in the River Lee, it would be flooded. So you don't have... And the other thing that got me was when the false teeth bit. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I actually watched it. We watched it. I'm a member of the Ghost Club. We watched it, and we were absolutely rolling around. Uh, right. It was so fun. Um, but... Um, but so, so I, I am peripherally, uh, okay, well, it's, it's great that I'm a GP, mediumistic GP in the Enfield area. You would expect that. It right. Adds, adds to my provenance. So I'm basking in the reflected glory. But it does turn out that I happen to look after the grandson of the Enfield poltergeist. Now, let me tell I didn't know this, but I'll tell you the story. Um, so the, 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 there was a, obviously the fact that the country too was coming up was a big deal locally. And we were in the staff uh, uh, room one day at, at my health centre, and one of the uh, temps was there. She was saying, "Oh, I've just um, what's this about the Enfield poltergeist? I've never heard of it." And I and they all looked at me, you know, <laughs> and I said, "Well, yeah, this was big in this area." And I told her the story. Anyway, at the time, I was a member. One of my patients had invited me to join his ghost club, and um, this is a bit involved. See if you can follow this. So. If when you're in a ghost club, you, you tend to hang around spooky locations, and the police tend to, uh, you have to let the police know that you're hanging around a churchyard, otherwise they'll sort of arrest you. <laughs> and and in order to so what they like you to have is to have a t-shirt on that's you know that says you're a member of the ghost club. So I had to get my personalised t-shirt, and there's a shop a uh, a couple of miles away from my health centre called Direct Boots and Shoe, and they have a his amazing t-shirt loom where they actually they'll weave logos into t-shirts and um the guy who ran the the, uh, the ghost club he actually had a uh, an account with him so he said you go in there buy your t-shirt from there and he'll give you your your t-shirt and there happened to be a visit in the home visit book like i said G us we gps do a lot of home visits so there was a guy called derek derek wilkins and he'd had an operation and i just wanted to pop around and see how he was doing and by the way he lived right close by this t-shirt place uh -huh. and as we've been talking about the infield poltergeist i thought oh yeah i'll, I'll take derek uh, he's right by the t-shirt shop i'll pop in there get my t-shirt and uh, yeah job done uh, it took about an hour for them to make the t-shirt so uh, when i got to derek's house i apologized and i and um i said to him oh, i was having a t-shirt done for my ghost club and derek said oh you're into that are you he said yeah he said she said um 
my dad's into that as well. So his, his, his father, Terry, had come over from Spain to look after him whilst he was covering from, from his operation. So uh, I, 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 treat, I saw Terry and did, did what I had to do medically. And then I went, uh, uh, Derek, and then I went downstairs um, to, to, to go and said to Terry, oh, Derek, Derek says that you're into ghosts and stuff. He said, yeah. I said, how come? He said, I'm the son of the Enfield poltergeist. Oh my. And it turned out that he lived in the house uh, where the poltergeist occurred, um, in Green Street in Enfield, which is literally not even half a mile from my from my from my health health uh, health centre. I can walk there across the park. Um, and that when so what happened was Maurice Gross, the investigator, had recorded um, some tapes. And they'd been played on uh, Michael Aspel's programme, Strange But True. Michael Aspel was a well-known newsreader. And when he stopped reading the news, he had this uh, series on, the, on ITV called Strange But True. And he'd heard Morris's tapes of, of Janice speaking in this gruff voice and realised that it sounded like his father. Mm. And his father had actually died in the house just as had been told by the girls. As Morris had found out, um, and, and that was a story. And I was so, look, so I mean, and I thought, what's this about? Because we've been talking about the Enfield poltergeist. I was collecting a ghost hunting T-shirt, and then blow me, there I was <laughs> speaking to the son and grandson of the Enfield poltergeist. Um, so, in fact, when I went back to work that afternoon, um, I mentioned it to the temp, and then. Um, I had to fill out a certificate for Derek to take some time off from work. So Terry came to the health centre to pick it up. And I showed him round and introduced him to the temp. I said, this is actually the son of the Enfield Poltergeist. He loved it. I mean, Terry absolutely right. loved it. And it was just an amazing story. Um, actually, there, there, there was um, uh, the, there was the Hungry too, but the BBC also did a docudrama of this. And it was less than flattering oh, to the yes. family. Yes. That they made Terry out to be an alcoholic, which of course he wasn't. And in fact, um, his other son, um, uh, Derek's brother, actually took the BBC to task. I think they tried to sue them because it really was, you know, it, it was scurrilous. But it was, it was actually it was a very good, good story, but it was just a story. Right. I mean, I met Maurice Gross. Again, when I, when, when I started opening up to this, um, uh, one of my colleagues, a GP um, in Muswell Hill, which is another borough of London, um, to, towards the, to, further in towards London, um, happened to um, accost me in my gym and said, Ian, you're into all this spiritual stuff, aren't you? He said, would you like to meet Maurice Gross? He's my patient. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So he introduced me to Maurice Gross. I went round to Maurice's house and I, I didn't tell Maurice that I was training as a medium. This was just very early on. Uh, and I thought... I'd keep it quiet. I told him my, my experiences. And he looked at me and said, do you know what you and your sister are, don't you? He said, you're, you're undeveloped medium. She should join a circle. I then actually then said, well, actually, Maurice, I have joined a circle. And I, I met Maurice just about a year before he died. The last thing Maurice said to me, I remember shaking his hand outside his, his house. He looked at me. He was very short. I mean, he looked up at me. He was about five foot nothing. You know, a tiny guy with a big handlebar moustache. He said, he had a firm grip and he said, he said, Ian, one thing I've learned in all my years of studying these phenomena is that there definitely is life after death. All the Victorian spiritualists have already proved it. And all we've been doing is just proving 
what they've already found. He said, I have no doubt in my mind that we go on after death. I remember him looking at me like that, and I'm thinking, God, this guy really believes it. Um, uh, and then I was introduced to Guy Lyon Playfair, who was his other researcher. In fact, Guy did the blurb on my book, uh, back cover of my book. Um, I remember meeting him because I gave a talk at the Society of Cycle Research. And then I was introduced to him at a party afterwards. Um, so, um, one of the one of my patients, Roy. So Roy, opposite my my health centre, was a, a used kitchen appliance shop. They, they'd refurb. I work in a poor area, and they'd refurbish um, cookers and ovens and things. And um, Roy ran the shop. And uh, I remember talking to him when I first started exploring this area. And he said, oh, "I've witnessed the Enfield poltergeist." He said, "In um, I used to pick up." go into the house and they used to pick up uh, one of the girls to go to work or someone in the house goes to work he said Pam uh, uh, invited me in one day and um, she said I'll make you a cup of tea so she put the cup of tea down next to him on a settee uh, a sofa and on the arm of the sofa she left the room he said someone picked up the cup of tea I couldn't see them it moved across the room and smashed into the wall he said I've never moved as fast he, just, he said you've never seen me run so fast in all your life I would never go back in that house. Um, one of my other patients was the, um, her mother-in-law was the school crossing guard. We call them lollipop ladies in this country because they have a, a huge um, placard which looks like a lollipop which says stop children. So they're called lollipop ladies. She said, my, 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 my um, uh, mother-in-law was the school crossing guard, the lollipop lady, who actually witnessed Janet's uh, uh, Janet floating in the air through the window. This 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 crossing is directly opposite the house. And when you stand at the crossing, you can actually look into the window, the upstairs window, and she could see. Um, uh, a, I think it was a red cushion on the roof that floated out the window, and also she could see Janet just floating in the air. Wow. So yeah, I've come across all of them. Also. One of my, this guy who runs the ghost club, he knew the policewoman who'd witnessed it as well. And she was completely frightened by it. I mean, I never know the policewoman, but he said she would refuse to talk about it. She, it just scared her what she witnessed. And then when I was in Edinburgh, um, uh, there's a woman called Anne Traherne, who I think you know, she runs the mm-hmm. Dark Center in Edinburgh. I gave my talk there. And she introduced me to um, Stuart Lamont. Stuart Lamont was the uh, BBC, um, he was well, he, he was head of religious uh, programming at BBC, but at the time he was a young producer and he'd been sent to the BBC to film uh, what was going on. And Stuart had witnessed it as well. So I was introduced and introduced him to Stuart. So I've met everybody involved apart from the family themselves. But well, there we go. So that's, ah. that's appropriate. Don't you think for a mediumistic GP who works in Enfield? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you got a story to tell. Um, yeah. you, uh, so, so you're not sure about the Ed and Lorraine uh, part of Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren. They, they were in the movie. Because Joe and I, because of our, you know, you know what we do with the demon stuff. They kind of refer to us as the Ed and Lorraine Warren of Michigan, which, you know, they were demonologists and demon hunters. So I just wondered how much influence they had on the case. Uh, I'll tell you, okay, well, look, yeah, there's always a bit of infighting. You know, you, you, in all these groups, there's always a bit of this and that. I mean, it's like that in UFO groups. It's like that in every group. Right. Um, as far as the UK is concerned, Ed and Lorraine sailed in for three days, didn't do a lot, sailed off and claimed that they... So they, they, 
they, they, these Americans just kind of, the Yanks kind of claimed it. Stirred the pot. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that 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 that's that's. I I, I wasn't there. I don't know. Okay, I just wondered, because you know, when you read when you read the book, when you read the book about the Enfield case, you know, the, uh, yeah. this house is haunted. I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. You don't. They're they're not referred to in that book at all. So I just wondered. Well, they did make it famous by The Conjuring too. So thank you for that. It made Enfield famous yeah. for that. So that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't find horror films spooky at all my wife she, 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 she doesn't like them at all but i mean i have to it was just funny especially when those false teeth yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's right yes. being bitten by a pair of ethereal false teeth i mean honestly <laughs> anyway and uh, yes, they, there are no basements filled with water okay in, in, in very few okay <laughs> unless you're rich yeah yeah, and the, which they were not. So, yeah. They were certainly not. Yes, that's true. So, um, I mean, I, you know, like you see the house. It's a, it's a three-bedroom uh, terraced house, you know, with them all in a row. I don't know what you call them in the States. What do you call terraced houses in the States? Um, yeah. Track housing? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. They, they, they all look the same. Well, they all look the same. Kind they're, of the, they're all attached. So oh, oh uh, a duplex, yeah. like duplexes oh, sort of or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the duplexes, yeah, they're two different houses, but they're but there's usually two, you know, or three together. Oh, so. Or or condos, maybe condos. Right. Yeah, condos. I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk to you um, about a phenomenon that happened um, with your friend's granddaughter that was in the book. So can you tell us that story? Uh, I can't remember. What, what the one uh, that the, the, you weren't even there, but the granddaughter of a friend um, had uh, uh, inhaled something. Oh, gosh, that. Yeah, yes. Oh, that, that was, oh, that was amazing. That was long before. I mean, that was, um, that was amazing. I've forgotten that. So um, we're talking about to be um, before I was into all this. Oh, so it was before this time. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. So, um, I, I was obviously things were, were brewing before. You know, yeah. there were lots of things going on in my life at the time. And uh, one of my gym buddies, um, I think in the book I called her Kathy, but her name's Christy. Um, so, her, um, I, she just happened to come up to me and she said that her, her granddaughter had. Um, she she'd swallowed something at school and it had gone down, and um, and she just mentioned it in passing. Unless she said it to me, I felt very strange. Now, prior to that, this was on a Saturday. I never go to the gym at the weekend. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I'd had this awful feeling. I was pacing up and down at home. It was like this electrical feeling you get before a a thunderstorm. And um, my wife. She said, Ian, just go to the gym and work it off because you're on edge. And you always feel better after you So I go to the, went to the gym, bumped into, in, into um, Kathy Stroke Christine, and um, she happened to mention that um, her daughter, uh, her granddaughter, had swallowed something at school. And as she said it, I felt this strange sensation in my throat, and I just knew she'd inhaled it. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, is she okay? She said, she's fine. It went down. School didn't make a fuss. So I said, phone your, phone your daughter, phone Vanessa. Um, ask her how Kristen, the, 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 the granddaughter, is doing. So she phoned Vanessa. She said, oh, I've got my friend Ian here. He's a doctor. How's, um, how's Kristen doing? She said, well, 
she's all right, but she didn't want to go to ballet classes last night. It was a bit unusual. So I, I said, give me the phone. I said, you don't know me, but I'm your mum's friend. Um, can you put your ear to her chest? Because if, if something gets inhaled, it goes down the right main bronchus, which is the, you're, you've got your, your windpipe. Then uh -huh. it goes, one goes to the right lung, one goes to the left lung. And it tends to go down into the right lung, to the right main bronchus, it's the main tube that goes to the right lung. I said, put your ear to the right side of her chest, can you hear anything? She said, no. I said, well, get her to run around the garden and get her breathing up. So she ran around the garden and said, can you put your ear to the back of her chest, can you hear it now? She said, oh, I think I can hear a little wheeze. Well, as far as that, I was then thinking, oh, God, that, it's definitely there. So I said, look, take it up to, um, A, in the accent emergency, what you call the emergency room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So she said, um, she got really spooked by it, quite upset. And um, uh, my friend took the phone off and said, yeah, do it, because he's, you know, trust him. So she did. And she went, um, I mean, um, uh, Christine went off as well with her. And I, I immediately thought, oh, it's a silly thing to do. You know, I don't I even examine her and I'm sending her up to hospital. So they, they went up to the local um, emergency room and the doctor examined her and they x-rayed her and didn't find anything. And, um, but the two women, were, the adults, weren't happy. They had this nine-year-old and they just weren't happy. Mm -hmm. So when faced, the, the, the junior doctor there, when faced with two unhappy adults, we said, well, we'll, we'll send you to the, the main paediatric hospital in London, which is Great Ormond Street, which is in the centre of London. It's a, a tertiary centre, very well-known hospital. So they went down to Great Ormond Street, went there, examined by the duty paediatrician there. And they said, look, you know, there's nothing there. I don't know where you got this idea from. The x-ray is fine, nothing wrong with it. But, but, but they were insistent. They, by that time, they were pleading with them. They said, well, the only way we're going to find out is if we bronchoscope. And that's a very, very big thing to do for a nine-year-old. And they just pleaded with, with I, Actually, I don't know how they convinced them. But they wow. managed to convince them. So they, they anaesthetized um, Kristen and bronchoscoped her. And sure enough, in her right main bronchus was the chewed end of a biro tip. Wow. So now what happened was she chewed it and then swallowed it. And it had frayed into little barbs. And they said it had stuck into the wall of the bronchus. So they said if, if she hadn't come out, it could have eroded through it. She'd have had an infection. It would have wow. literally scarred her lungs for life. And, she, and in fact, they gave her the, um, the, the, the biro top in a little um, hot specimen pot. And um, Christine showed it to me. And I just put it down to luck. I thought, you know, at the time, I didn't associate it. But when I was starting to go through this opening up phase, and I was being directed here and there everywhere, do you remember when I said I was at this party where I met this woman yes. at the haunted house? Um, that was at, uh, at the, the party of one of my cousins called Rose, distant cousin. and. I got into a discussion with Rose at the time, and I and I'd said, "Well, all these weird things are happening to me." She said, "Well, what happens is, if you're open to this and you're a doctor or a nurse on this side of life, they will work with you. Concerned doctors and nurses on the other side will work with you on the other side." Wow. Um, and I said, "What do you mean work with? Well, they'll guide you and they'll help you." And I remember thinking back to this that maybe they were working with me all along because I didn't make that diagnosis. I mean, there's no way that I made that diagnosis. You know, the child has swallowed something. Why would I get this feeling? Why would I, why would right. I urge to go there in the first place? It was very, very strange. It's just looking back at it. You know what? Until you've mentioned it, I forgot to put that in my book. Ah, Thank you for Yes. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to be really honest with you, and I haven't read the book, but I did read 
snippets of the book. So I haven't gotten the book yet. So I just want to be very honest with you about that. But I'm going to get the book. I'm going to get the book because, you know, as you know, I'm a medium also. And but I, what I find interesting is that you fought it. And um, when I first, you know, came into my own, I fought it a lot, too. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think? Because, I mean, I wasn't a doctor. I was just, you know, someone, you know, that had these different things that happened to them. But why do you think that you were kind of uh, hesitant? I wholly. A bit of me was, remember, I was in a really difficult place with my family. I've been ostracized right. from the family. And, and actually, there's an, up, there's an upshot to this. Um, Remember my grandfather giving me the message. Um, that was on July the. That would be July the fourth, Independence Day. Ah, interesting enough. Yeah. Uh, Two thousand and three, when Keith gave me that message. Um, eventually, my at my my parents died, and actually I was disinherited. Oh my goodness. So, which is a big thing to do to a son, obviously. And when I downloaded the will, I mean, I just thought, you know what, it doesn't matter. I've always, it really doesn't matter to me um, because the journey alone was worth it. But when I downloaded the will, it had been signed on the 2nd of July, 2003. Oh. And my grandfather had come two days later. And that was something, and my mum died in 26 years when I discovered it. So I then realised that this was, again, all part of the process of seeing the timing was quite, quite right. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine it was quite. I mean, it was a big deal. This family family breakup. Um, right. A bit of me was. I mean, I'd been cast out. I had my my patients. I had my my friends. I had my supportive um, uh, colleagues at work, and I had my cousins actually. But I, you know, um, I it was caused a huge rift that was never really completely healed. Um, and a bit of me was ready for it. It was like, oh, I've got nothing to lose. But uh, so emotionally, I was ready for it. But intellectually, I was overthinking. Mm -hmm. I, I had to fit it into my worldview. And my worldview was, I mean, I'd had that, 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 that transfiguration episode when I was 19. So I knew there was more to life than the eye. I was open to that. But I was, pre I was um, presented with all this people who believe that healing has a color, um, the energy whatever right. that means, mm -hmm. you know, the energy mm -hmm. that I could measure doing physics, but energy was something else. Right. I mean, I'm completely familiar with it now, and I understand it. Right. I know it's just a difference in terminology. Chakras and all that, right. Yeah, well, chakras, I mean, I mean, that is very deep. I mean, I, right. you know, the idea of emotional centers, I mean, but if you'd have told me two years before that I'd be talking about chakras, you know, and, <laughs> right. and getting into crystals, right, <laughs> um, and doing dowsing, or actually dowsing I've done before. I'll tell you a story about dowsing. But um, no, it was always there, but a bit of me was always hanging back. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mentioned dowsing. Uh, when I moved into my house in 1985, it was a new build. Uh, I remember uh, my wife Poonam had a headache and she went to bed. It was the afternoon. And I thought, well, what should I do? And something told me, said, go dowsing. So I've, I've done this on and off for years without any, any. Um, sometimes I got some results. So I've always been interested in dowsing. Mm -hmm. I've had an interest in this. Stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not anti it. And I remember I got nothing from the rods. Some, you know, I got some coat hangers and bend them. And then I remember, I thought, I'll just try my hands. And I went out to the garden. My hands outstretched, and I got the urge to dig. 
and I dug, and I've got a whole cabinet full of stuff I dug up. Um, paperweights, wow. old bottles. Turns out that where I was digging, um, there was an old house on this site. Ah. They used to, uh, it was the, they used to throw old pottery out there. And some of it was like Victorian pottery. I mean, and, and we're in America, I say, my house is built on the, on the uh, on an old Indian... Uh, in, Indian barrel grounds, yeah, that's well, what we have here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, you don't get that here. But, but it was an old midden, really. Uh -huh. A lot of Victorian stuff in it. And I've, I've got a whole cabinet of it, which I'm, I'm quite proud of, you know, which is still there, quite, you know, old old um, bottles and old ceramic jars, marmalade jars. Oh, cool. Stuff like that, yeah. some bottles, which, which I got from Dalsing. So it's always been there, Dorinda. But, uh, but and it's still a little bit of me that, that, that hears me speaking and thinks, ah, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> in the Sims, ah, look what he's doing. But, but I mean, it's such an important part of my life now. Right. Well, not for me, cause, uh, dousing. I, I use dousing rods in our demon hunts all the time. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, and, and sometimes there's some phenomenon that happens that kind of freaks me out a little bit, you know, like the dousing rods are spinning and I'm like holding on to them and you're like, okay, something's here. <laughs> you know, I got, yeah. I got to do that. But yeah, so, you know, I've never used it to actually find things. I always look at it for the energy, you know, like if, if yeah. it's good energy, they're wide open. If it's bad energy, they're crossed. That's kind of how I used them. So well, I think you're very brave because I don't do that. I mean, I, I, got into ghost hunting a bit but I just found it boring um, because you're up at night I'm not very good at being up at night and and there's, there's basically you get geeky young men with, yes. with instruments and yeah a yeah. so lot of instruments that the other and you think at the end of it it's just like, oh god I, you know I'm thinking well you know I don't need that anyway you can just use your brain um, and then anyway for me it's about using it to help people so right I don't, so I don't do healing um, which when I, when I started going, opening up, I thought, well, I'm a doctor, I'm heading for healing, obviously. Right, and I went to right. some healing training, but to be honest, it was too much like my day job. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, exactly. Uh, and it was, I was doing it for a hobby at first, and also, the trouble with healing is, you can always say, well, then they got better anyway. I mean, every doctor would say that, because you do see spontaneous cures, and what I wanted was evidence. Mm -hmm. And you know what? As a medium, you're only as good as your last message. Right. You give a decent message to someone. That is obvious. You know, you're either right or you're wrong. Right. You're right. A little bit, you know, if. But and, and, when you give a good message, that is jaw-droppingly obvious. And there's no doubt about it right. in my book. And, that, and remember, I'm looking for evidence. This is a, a personal journey. So, so basically what I've done is I've gone on this personal journey. I'm still on it. I've taken all my patients along with it. <laughs> So, which is which has been fun, right? Right, they enjoy it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, what I was going to say is that um, some people don't want to be healed. That's one of the things that I, because I am a Reiki master. I do Reiki, you know, energy healing and stuff. But there are times when people don't want to be healed. But in my psychic abilities, I always say it's yours, not mine. So if I give them a message and they don't get it right away, I always say it's yours, not mine. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, they go, well, remember when you said, and I'm like, no, I don't really, because, you know, I did it at the time. But, but they go, you were absolutely right. So that's how I do it too. But then sometimes I get myself uh, hung up. So do you ever hu get hung up on stuff and not give the message that you were supposed yeah. to give? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yes, yes. The logic, you get well, logical about well, it instead. Well, yeah, sometimes your logic gets in. Um, if you overthink it. Yes. Um, or, um, but, I mean, it's a really, the way I, I see it is it's a communications problem. Right. And it's to do with bandwidth. I mean, obviously, this is the scientific bit coming in. It's just the right. way the sock 
a sop to my scientific side, but um, I really think that you know, you've got various different conditions, what you've eaten, what, what the sitter's eaten, what the weather's like, um, what's going on on the other side, I mean, who knows? Um, so I think so many things get in the way. And what you have to do is you have to learn how to communicate with your guides. For instance, right. um, my wife's quite mathematical. She often gets, she sees, uh, she's, she, I mean, she believes this more than me. I mean, she's Hindu. She's mm-hmm. not interested in training, but she's always had a deep spiritual connection. And she get mess- gets messages in numbers. I'm not very numerate. Although my son's a mathematician, I'm not. I, I used to sit at the back of the class in math, maths and cry. <laughs> he didn't like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with words and puns. So I get, uh, my guys communicate to me in terms of puns. I'll give you an example. Um, I've got a patient, Caroline. Uh, she was the one I was giving uh, a message to on Zoom. Her uncle died. And I'm just really convinced I'm, I've got her uncle. And her uncle was showing me tennis. And I was saying to Caroline, did he play tennis? No. Did he like Wimbledon? No. Did he live in Wimbledon? No. Then suddenly I realised, was his name Dennis? Yes. So, yes. see, yeah. that, that I, I realised that, for me, I don't hear very well. I do hear sometimes, but right. it's visual and it's punning. Yeah. So how if you've got a guy who likes visual puns, Dennis, tennis, yeah. how do you communicate a name right. when you can't actually hear it properly? Right. So for things like that, you have to learn. Mm-hmm. So do you believe that everyone has a little bit of psychic ability, sort of like a muscle? Yeah. They have to kind of yeah. learn to use it more. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm special. Um, yeah, that's what I say, too. I'm not special. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, but not, but I mean, not, I would say, Everybody can kick a, book, a football, but not everyone can be David Beckham. You know, they're a good. good I mean, I've, I've met some fantastic mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, my my well, my patient Lynn. Um, she so she came into my a year after I started training. She came into my room. Um, I didn't know her very well at the time, and she she looked at me. And she said, "I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here, doctor. I'm going." I said, "What's the matter?" She said, oh, "No, no, I've had some weird thing. Everything. I'm mad." And um, so. I managed to get this and sit down and tell me what was wrong. She said, well, I've been waking up in the night and there's been this priest standing at the foot of my bed telling me that he wants to talk to me and be my guide. I think I'm going, you'll think I'm going mad, won't you? And I said to Lynn, well, I would have done, but actually I think you are an undeveloped medium. Why don't you join my circle? <laughs> yes, right. So she, she came with me and became a fellow traveler for a year, but she took off. I mean, her mediumship's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And she's now um, a, a circuit medium. She's a good platform medium, and and she's outstripped me far better than me. Wow. So she's got in, in, a immense natural ability. Whereas with me, I'm willing. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be. So they'll work with me. I think it's because I'm willing to be an instrument, so to speak. Right. And they can work with me. And and I believe that you have a team of not just one guy, but a team of guys. several. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. That, I agree with that too. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you, um, Ian, for being here. Um, to get Dr. Ian Rubenstein's book, Consulting Spirits, go to Amazon.com or anywhere you buy your books. Um, thank you for your time and your enlightenment on the subject. And this is Dorinda Stewart. Until next time.